2012, the end of the world. That's the topic we're taking on in a brand new year. And we're taking it on because there's a lot of people who really believe that the world could end in 2012. And the reason we're starting with this topic is not to create some sensational start to a new year. The reason is to fulfill the mission of the church, and the mission of the church is to win men and women to Jesus Christ, and then to equip those who are believers to go out into the world and represent God and His Word accurately. As we continue through the year 2012, and especially as we approach this this mystical date of December 21st, 2012, I think there's going to be increasing hype. I think there's going to be increasing speculation and and a lot of increasing fear as to whether the world really is going to end. And what we're doing is we are taking a journey to establish what God has said about the end of the world because He, of course, and His Word is the only reliable source for the future. Now, so far, we serve the role of mythbusters. In our first week, we debunked the six most popular doomsday myths about how the world is going to end. Of course, the grandfather of them all is the long count Mayan calendar that ends on December 21st, 2012. And that's why so many people are speculating that marks the end of time. But we debunked these six myths. We don't have time to repeat them all each week. So if you missed the message, let me encourage you to catch up through the internet or, or get one of the CDs at our resource table. Last time we were together, we affirmed from a biblical perspective that it is actually impossible biblically for the world to end in the year 2012. In fact, we concluded that if everything lined up from the biblical perspective, starting today, the world would not end for at least 1,007 years. It cannot end in 2012. Now, one of the reasons that we came to that affirmation is because the Bible provides a long count calendar of its own. Now, it's not called that, but that's the terminology we're using. The Bible gives a very specific guideline as to things that will lead up to the end of the world. And we remember that the real end of the world is inseparably linked to God's relationship with Israel, God's relationship with His chosen people, the Jewish people. It's linked to that. And so this calendar is not a Mayan long count calendar, it's a Jewish long count calendar. Now, we discovered this calendar in the book of Daniel. Daniel was a prophet of God. Remember, he was taken from Jerusalem in captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar when he conquered Jerusalem. Daniel was able to interpret a dream Nebuchadnezzar had, and so Nebuchadnezzar elevated him to one of the the, the key leaders in the whole nation of Babylon. Now, through Daniel's experience of captivity in Babylon, God visited him several times. And he used the angel Gabriel. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, Gabriel visits Daniel again. And he says, Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy one. In other words, seventy-sevens are going to take place before Messiah accomplishes everything everything God intends for him to accomplish. Now, we discovered last time that those 77s represent years. 
And so the total years that are represented are 490 years. These are 490 years of Jewish history. 490 years that are critical in the nation of Israel, the Jewish people's relationship with God, as there's his chosen people. Now, we accounted for last time 483 of those years, but we determined that and discovered that there are seven years that are missing. Those seven years are accounted for by a gap in this prophecy that was given to Daniel. God has temporarily put into kind of a suspended animation Israel's long count calendar. There's a break, there's a gap. Jesus talked about that gap during his life. In Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 41, you recall Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. This is the week of his crucifixion. He's going into Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be beat. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be nailed to a cross. And so on his way into Jerusalem, he's weeping. He's crying, the Bible says. Now, he's not crying because of fear of what is going to come and visit him. He's crying because he knows that although he's going to get a ticker tape prayed in just a few minutes, and when he goes into Jerusalem, they're going to yell, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, the events that we celebrate, Palm Sunday, you lay down palms, people are going to lay down their coats, and they're going to hail him as a hero coming into the city. But Jesus knows that in just four days, those same people are going to be screaming at the top of their lungs with rage in their faces, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus, knowing that, is approaching Jerusalem and he's weeping. And he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring peace. But look what he says. He says, but now it's hidden from you. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Because they would not accept and embrace Jesus as the long-anticipated and promised Messiah of Israel. Now, because they rejected him, A split in the calendar, a split in time occurred. Paul described it, as we saw last time, in the book of of Romans, chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. And Paul says to Christians at Rome, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. In other words, he's saying, I don't want you, as believers now, As Gentile believers, I don't want you to get conceited and start thinking in a condescending manner towards the chosen people, Israel. I don't want you treating or seeking or looking at or considering the Jewish people as inferior because they rejected Jesus as Messiah. He said, in fact, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. In other words, he's saying this. There's a split in time. God has suspended those final seven years that Daniel prophesied about, and now God has extended His grace and mercy and salvation to the Gentiles, not only the Jews. But, he says, and then Israel will be saved. God's attention is going to turn back to Israel. And in fact, God one day is going to restart that prophetic calendar and fulfill the final seven years of those 490 years. We ended last time with this warning. That when that clock starts ticking, I better be ready. You better be ready. Because 
those seven years are going to be characterized by absolute destruction and chaos on a frightening level that has never been experienced before. 2012, the end of the world? Absolutely not. It is scripturally impossible. However, 2012 could mark the beginning of the end. Now, three important signs will signify the restarting of this prophetic calendar. Three things. One has already been revealed, and that is the ruler to come. We saw it in that passage in Daniel 9.26. It says, The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one year. In other words, he is going to be the central character on earth during these final seven years. Now, for those of you who may have heard about end times things in churches, we refer to that person as Antichrist. That's this Antichrist character you may have heard a lot about. Not going to talk a lot about him today. We're going to come back to him later on. This, another sign, and these aren't in chronological order, these are things that are going to happen simultaneously, is God's outpouring of wrath on the earth. You know, we live in a time of grace. We live in a time of God's mercy. And, and God is merciful to us, and He's long-suffering with us, and He's patient with us. And we can falsely conclude that God is this kind of beautiful, kind of friendly, happy grandfather kind of character who just winks at sin and says, I know it's okay. But He's not. God one day is going to say, enough is enough. And He is going to pour out His wrath on sin. And anyone who is in a sinful state of condition at the time. This has been prophesied for thousands of years. This is nothing new. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 14, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, to make the lands desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for its sins. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of His burning anger. See, God has a holy side to Him. God has a righteous side to Him. And one day... He's going to reveal that side. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament, Joel 2, verse 30 and 31, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Jesus himself said it this way in Matthew 24, verse 21 through 22, For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. He said, If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. The ruler who will come. God's outpouring of wrath. Now, there is some confusion about what we're talking about right now. And some folks who have heard some, some messages and some lessons and some Bible studies on the final days know that when Antichrist comes, he's going to establish a covenant. It says that, a covenant with many people for seven years. And so a lot of people say, well, that's going to be a peaceful time. 
He's going to bring all the nations of the world together and there'll be peace. And a lot of people say, you know, I really would kind of like to see that. I'd like to kind of see, you know, when all that happens up in that time when, when he's consolidating all that peace. No, you don't. Because simultaneously, God is going to be pouring his wrath out on the earth. There's not going to be peaceful times when that calendar starts ticking again. You do not want to have anything to do with it, and neither do you want anyone you love or care about to have anything to do with it. Most doomsday prophecies predict a sudden end of the world. 2012, they kind of got from scientists the idea that the world was going to implode and explode, and so they had a couple years to make time, but still everything kind of rushed, and it came earlier than they expected, and they had all kinds of complications. But most of them, all of a sudden, something catastrophic happens, and the world ends. But that's not how it's going to happen. In fact, the Bible predicts a long, agonizing death. Jesus says again, Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And then he says something very significant. What does he say? All these are the beginning of what? Birth pains. How many moms we got here today? Moms, you know about birth pain, don't you? How is birth pain categorized? Well, when the time comes for a woman to give birth to her baby, what happens is she goes into something called labor. It starts rather innocently. Ooh, what was that? <laughs> and then a little while later, another, oh, ooh, ooh. And it starts kind of subtly, right? But what happens? As the body prepares to bring the child into the world, the uterus starts contracting and expanding. And we are taught in our Lamaze classes many things, but we are taught to time those contractions, right? And what happens? They get closer and closer together, don't they? And not only do they get closer and closer together, they become what? More intense. In fact, ultimately, a woman will reach a position called transition to where the uterus is rapidly expanding to, seven, or to 10 centimeters so the, birth, the baby can be born. And during that period, the contractions are just coming repeatedly, and they're coming with great intensity. And many of us, we hus- husbands, have marks in our arms. To... <laughs> See, Jesus says, that's what's going to happen these final seven years. God is going to start pouring his wrath out. And initially people are going, what in the world? But as these years progress, just like birth pains, these contractions are going to be becoming more frequent and they are going to get much more violent. God's outpouring of wrath. His outpouring of wrath is revealed in the last book in your Bible called the book of the Revelation. Now, for those of you who are new to the faith or you're new to Bible study, let me give you just a very brief introduction to what this book is about. The book explains itself. 
In the very first chapter, the very first book of the last book of your Bible, the book of Revelation, the Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. What he's talking about now is God has now given Jesus Christ the knowledge of how these final years are going to go. And it goes on to say, He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who testifies to everything He saw, that is, the Word of God in the testimony of Jesus Christ. John is one of the original twelve disciples. In fact, he's called the disciple that Jesus loved. He refers to himself that way, and the Bible refers to him that way. He was kind of one of the inner circle disciples. Later in his life, he is exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he's working in a penal colony as a prisoner. Well, as a prisoner on Patmos, God sends an angel and reveals to him these final seven years and how they're going to take place and what's going to happen. We fast forward to Revelation chapter 5. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on a throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. Here's the scene. God through the angel allows John to see the heavenly throne room. God is seated on the throne. If you want more explanation, read chapter 4, the the previous chapter, and it explains the whole scene. It's very dramatic, and there's peals of thunder and lightning and smoke and pillows and and creatures flying around and and elders singing to God and angels. It's, It's an incredible, dramatic scene. And now, he sees God, and in God's hand is a scroll with writing on both sides. And that scroll is sealed with seven seals on it. And there's great drama and great intensity in heaven because everyone knows that whatever this scroll is, it is of extreme eternal importance. And all of heaven is is waiting for finally it to be revealed what God's plan is. Remember when Jesus was here, he said, no one knows the hour. The angels in heaven don't know it. Even I, the Son of God, don't know it. Only God the Father. Now God's going to reveal it. But when they look around, no one's worthy to open it. And so John goes on saying, he says, And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. He says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Who are we talking about now? Jesus. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is that root of David. And he has triumphed. How has he triumphed? He's triumphed over sin. He's triumphed over the grave. He was resurrected after his crucifixion. And he is worthy to open the seals. So now Jesus, the lamb, takes the scroll. And one by one, he's going to begin to pop those seals. And every time he pops a seal, the scroll reveals yet another characterization and characteristic of God pouring out His wrath on man and on sin. Jesus takes the scroll. He pops the first seal. Revelation 6.1 I watch as the Lamb opened the first of seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! 
I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Pops the first seal, pops out a white horse with a rider on it. Now, I'm not going to tell you what this is about, because I'm going to come back to it later. Make a mental note. First seal, pop. Rider comes out, carrying a bow, wearing a crown, going out on a white horse as one for conquest. Jesus pops the second seal. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. What do you call it when men slay each other? War. This is the horse of war. God is going to allow war. Remember Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars? These will be the what? The beginning of birth pains? The, this, this rider has a sword has the ability to cause men to turn on each other and to war against other and to kill each other. Pops the third seal. Verses 5 and 6. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil in the wine. Third seal broken. Now a black horse and a rider comes out. In his hand he has scales. These are not the scales of justice. These are the scales of commerce. When that seal is broken and God's wrath falls on sin, it is going to plunge the world into economic chaos like it has never, ever experienced before. And we're living in some pretty bad times right now. Inflation will come to the place worldwide where one day's wage we'll only be able to buy one quart of wheat. One quart of wheat is what's needed for one person to be fed for one day. Now, if you want to go a cheaper route, you can buy barley because it will buy three quarts of barley. And now you can not only maybe feed yourself, but maybe you can feed your spouse and and maybe one or two of your children. But an entire day's wage will go just for food. And it says, and you better protect the oil. You better protect the wine. That which you make the bread with. Because they are going to be even more precious and expensive. A quart of wheat for a day's wages. Extreme inflation. Jesus pops the fourth seal. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Seals popped. Now a pale horse comes out. The pale horse represents the color of dying flesh. The color of sick human beings. And it says, as God pours out His wrath through this rider, He's given a power to kill one-fourth of the world's population. Currently, the world's population is 7 billion people. 
This writer is given the authority by God to take the lives of 1.75 billion human beings. One and three quarter billion people on earth are going to die. How? By the sword, through war. Through this famine, a day's wage for a quart of wheat. And through plague, as people become malnourished, disease is going to spread as rotting flesh of these, of these 1.75 billion people begin to rot and, and they're not going to be able to take care of them, get them buried properly. Disease is going to spread rampant. As the food supply dries up, they'll be scavenging beasts traveling to earth looking for food also. They're going to turn on the livestock and they're going to turn on the things that we eat and they will turn on man. Horrific, terrifying times. Then he pops the fifth seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Now, there's some theological debate about this one. Some believe that when that fifth seal was popped, what John saw was the multitude from many generations of mankind that had been martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. And they're crying out, when are you going to avenge those who did this to us? Others say these are tribulation saints. During these seven years that are called the tribulation period, the Bible says there's going to be 144 Jewish witnesses, 12,000 from each tribe of Judah, or each tribe of Israel. And they are going to proclaim, they're going to realize that Jesus really had been the Messiah. And they're going to then begin to spread their faith that Jesus was the Messiah. There's also going to be two witnesses the Bible talks about in the city of Jerusalem. And they will testify of Jesus Christ. They'll be put to death and they'll rise again from the dead also. There's also going to be, the Bible talks about, a holy angel that is going to circle the globe, pronouncing to mankind on earth the gospel. And so many believe that there'll be some opportunity at least at this point in these seven years, for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But those who do will pay for it with their lives. And what John sees is them crying out to God. And he says, wait, I'm going to avenge it, but not until the full number of your fellow brothers and servants who will die like you have died has been completed. Death on untold scales. The sixth seal. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars, in the Greek, that's asterisk, in the sky fell to earth. As late fig trees dropped from a tree when suddenly shaken by a strong storm, the sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island removed from its place. In other words, when he pops that sixth seal, John sees cosmic destruction. And he sees asteroids and meteors hitting the planet with such frequency and ferocity that it's like taking a, a fig tree when the figs are ripe and shaking it hard in a storm and all those figs just kind of fall on the ground or apples trees and, and you've seen fruit laying around the ground because of the weather and because shaking the tree. He said, that's what's going to happen. These things are just going to pummel the earth. 
And when that happens, it's going to cause not just a local earthquake, and we've seen some very destructive earthquakes even in our day, but in this earthquake, the entire earth is going to have a simultaneous earthquake of such great ferocity that it's going to go off the Richter scale, and even the mountains and every island will be geographically moved from where it previously was. In response to this, the Bible says in Revelation 6, 15 and 17, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called for the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? It will be absolute horror on the earth and people will flee and try to hide in caves and cry for the rocks to fall on them and hide them from all the horror that's visiting the earth. And Jesus pops the seventh seal. And the Bible says in Revelation 8.1, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now remember, up until this time, heaven is a very dramatic and noisy place. Peals of thunder, lightning, smoke. Courses singing, holy, holy, holy is he who sits on the throne. The, the earth is full of, of chaos. And Jesus pops that seventh seal. And all of heaven is stunned into absolute silence. And John said on a human scale, it was silence that lasted for approximately 30 minutes time. Why? Because when he popped that seventh seal, John saw, and all those in heaven in the throne room saw, the horrors that were yet to begin. Revelation 8.2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Trumpets have always been an important instrument in heralding the, the arrival of a dignitary or in heralding, heralding the, the beginning, the commencement of some significant event. Now seven angels who stand before God begin to take one by one a trumpet to their lips and blast. And with each blast, God's wrath continues to pour out on sin. Revelation 8, 3 and 5 says, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunders, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. God continues to pummel the earth and shake its very foundation. The first angel raises the trumpet and blasts the trumpet. Revelation 8, verse 6, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. A third! A third of the earth, a third of the cities, a third of mankind burned up. 
A third of all the trees gone. All of the green grass. No more grazing area for the cattle and the sheep and the goats and the herds. Second angel raises his trumpet. And something like huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. John said, I don't even know how to describe this. Something like a mountain that was on fire gets hurled into the sea. And immediately the sea becomes blood. A third of all the seas becomes blood. And a third of all the the creatures living in the sea die and float to the top and start to rot and decay. A third of all the ships who are vital now in a world of famine to get supplies to people in different places of the world, a third of all the ships are destroyed instantly. third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky, and a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Even today, the fresh water supply in the world is critical. As you recall, Florida Bible Church, not too long ago, came together and we provided the funds to build a well in Africa for several villages so that they could have clean, healthy water to drink. And and that missions cause is going on and on throughout the world every day. They're building wells and trying to help people find healthy drinkable water that they can drink and cook with that won't spread disease. But in one fatal swoop, when this third trumpet is sounded, one-third of the world's fresh water supply becomes polluted. And people who are dying of thirst drink it anyhow. And many, the Bible says, an untold number die as a result. Fourth angel raises his trumpet. Fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. With this trumpet blast, the entire organization of a routine normal day immediately changes. And now there is 16 hours of darkness and only 8 hours of light. Crops, as people frantically try to grow crops someplace, now there's not enough light for the crops to grow. The world is cast into darkness and it becomes a dark, cold, uninhabitable place. Revelation 8.13 says, I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice woe 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels back in chapter 4 talks about the four living creatures one of them described as an eagle flying in flight I believe now it's this living creature who now circles heaven and cries out woe Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Woe, you can't imagine what's coming when the next trumpets are sounded. 
You okay? Are you ready for this? Next week. As this angel declares these three woes, it brings us chronologically to the middle of those seven years, the first three and a half years. All of this that we talked about today, just in the first three and a half years. And the angel says, the, the living creature in the form of an eagle says, as terrifying as it has been to date, you haven't seen nothing yet. One day, God will pour out his wrath on sin. Unimaginable destruction, unimaginable terror, unimaginable circumstances. And that's why I told you last time, you better be ready for these seven years. I better be ready, you better be ready. If we're alive when that clock starts ticking again, I promise you this, you do not want to be here. And you don't want anybody that you care about to be here. There's only one way to be ready. Only one way. There's no plan B. There's no plan C. There's only plan A. And it's the plan God gave us. And that way is a gift. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we deserve. Not something we can buy. It's only something that we can receive. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Everything we talked about today. That's, that's what sin earns us. Because when God pours out His wrath, He's pouring it out on sin and all those who are still under the penalty of their sin. The verse says, for the wages of sin is death, but it goes on, listen to this. It goes on to say, but, huge conjunction, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All this horror, all this terror, God does not intend one human being to experience it. That is not His intention. His intention is that every human being escapes this. But there's only one way to escape. And that is by transferring our total confidence and faith onto what Jesus Christ has already done when He died on the cross for sin. See, so many people are living, trying somehow to appease God. Maybe if I'm a good enough person, maybe if I give enough to church, maybe if I get on enough committees, maybe if I help enough homeless people, maybe if I... But none of that will earn us entrance into eternity with God. None of it. 
It's not bad stuff. There's a purpose for it. But it's certainly not to get ready for the end of the world. One way, Jesus said it in John 14:6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's bow our heads. How about you? Are you ready to face the end of the world? Are you ready to face the end of your world whenever it occurs? This life and everything we do is preparation for eternity. Are you prepared? Here's the truth that I want you to leave with today. God loves you so much. This isn't intended for you. All this horror is not intended for you. God doesn't want you to experience it. And He has provided a way of escape. That way is Jesus. God gave His only Son, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever will believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. John 1.12, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed on His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. He loves you. And He wants to give you this gift. But He won't force it on you. He just offers it to you. Have you ever received it? Have you ever accepted it? Say, how do you do it? Just through a simple act and prayer of faith. And you ask Him for it and He gives it to you. I wonder if you're here today and right now the Spirit of God is bearing witness with your conscience that you need this gift. You've never received it. You may be a model citizen, but you've never received this gift. And until you have, you're not ready to face eternity. While no one's looking around, please everyone bow your head and close your eyes. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. But you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ. You've never received this gift. But right now you sense God's Spirit drawing you to Himself. No one's looking around. I won't embarrass you in any way. Just slip up your hand. Say, I've never trusted Jesus Christ. I've never received that gift. Yes, I see your hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? I've never received that gift, but I feel God calling me today. For you who raised your hand and maybe others who should have, God loves you. And right now, He brought you here today to change you for all eternity. Right now, He offers you that gift free. All you have to do is ask for it. And all you do to ask for it is pray to Him and ask for it. Maybe the prayer goes like this, God, I want this gift. I want this forgiveness. I need this forgiveness. I confess to you that I am a sinner. I've not lived a perfect life. I need your forgiveness. And God, I get it now. Your forgiveness was provided as a gift through Jesus' death on the cross. And so God, as best as I understand what this pastor is saying, today I ask Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I ask Him to pay my sin debt with His sacrifice. Today I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. Now as hard as it is to believe, that's all God requires. The Bible says in 1 John 5.13, These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know 
that you have eternal life. Father, how could we possibly thank you enough for your mercy in our lives? God, you could have demanded anything from us. And you you demand nothing from us other than faith in your love and your mercy. God, I pray that every man and woman here today has made that decision to trust Jesus Christ, to accept your gift of forgiveness. Now, God, for the mass of people here today who, who have done that, Lord, help us to use this series both to equip ourselves to be able to speak to people from a biblical perspective. But Lord, help us also as we hear and we learn this and we're reminded of us, make our hearts tender towards people who have never heard the gospel. God, help us to be bold in our faith and share it with them and help us to be sacrificial in our lives and give to you that others might hear. Lord, change our hearts and change our minds and change our lives. For although we know from a biblical perspective that 2012 will not be the end of the world, God, it certainly could be the beginning of the end. And Lord, help us to not only be prepared ourselves, but help us to love others enough to help them to get prepared. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We talked about tribulation today. Next week, we're going to talk about great tribulation. What does the angel mean when he says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Come back next week and we'll tell you. I want to thank you for being here today and I want to remind you as you leave today to give your gifts in one of the offering kiosks to the Lord so that this ministry can continue to reach out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to also remind those of you who can stay for just a few moments and help us with the chair transition, help us to do that too. Bring somebody with you next week. Now, I know this will scare them. And it's not, we're not doing it to scare people. We're doing it to wake people up. The most loving thing that we can do is to tell people the truth. And God has given us the truth, and we need to share it, right? Amen? All right. So don't worry about the Super Bowl so much next week. <laughs> We've got bigger things to contemplate. And you'll still have time to go see the Super Bowl. Come back next week. God bless you. Thank you for being here. God bless you all.